Hey everybody, this is John. And just a reminder that the RYM staff is getting ready for our second uh, youth leader training that is going to take place in Paradise, Pennsylvania. If anybody wants to jump in very last minute, uh, please do. Uh, that will be March 11th through the 15th. Also a reminder that the uh, Wild Team Nashville training audio is up on the website. So if you wanna go back and check out uh, the elective speakers as well as the main speaker, uh, be sure to go to rym.org training and you'll see the link to hear all those talks. Um, today I'm talking to Reverend John Stone and we break script a little bit from our season three theme. So I hope you enjoy some of the questions that we throw at him. So here's my conversation with John. Hello everyone and welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a daily podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. Today we will be talking to Reverend John Stone. John, how's it going? Going really well, John. Good to be with you again, friend. Yeah, um, if anyone has listened to this podcast at all, um, this is John's third time to come on this podcast. I think, you know, I need to check on this, but you might be the only guest who's been on for all three seasons. <laughs> well, I mean, it says something beautiful about it. Yeah, absolutely, yes. <laughs> Statistics just skyrocket anytime John's on the podcast. Um, but no, John, we, we saw each other recently in Nashville at the – Youth Leader Training Conference that we have, and that those who are interested in WILT, go to our website, rwam.org slash training. Uh, I'm not exactly sure when this podcast is going to air, but we've got another uh, WILT in uh, Paradise, Pennsylvania, so you can sign up for that. Uh, if this airs after that, go to the training section of our website anyway, and you can hear uh, some of the talks of our main speakers. John Stone was one of those uh, teachers as well, teaching on the philosophy of ministry. Uh, we always enjoy John coming on the podcast has a lot of ministry experience. And uh, even though some may know a little bit about you, John, that there are some who do not. So why don't you just briefly tell us who you are, what you have done in ministry and what you're currently doing. Hi, John. Glad to. So uh, my name is John Stone, born and raised in South Carolina, was raised in a Christian home by a Christian mother and uh, raised in a Southern Baptist tradition, ended up uh, a student at Clemson University where I bumped into a ministry called RUF, which stands for Reformed University Fellowship, which is not actually officially connected in any way to RYM, but was started by the same group of people, therefore has the same confusing name about it. And uh, <laughs> Through RUF, I began to grow in my understanding of what Reformed theology was and, you know, uh, sort of grew theologically and doctrinally also grew just spiritually and practically. And that experience, uh, two things, two, other, two additional things. I met my wife, Marissa, at Clemson. We did not date then. We just sort of got to know each other. We got married about six years after that, five years after that. And, um, but I decided to go to seminary because David Sinclair was there and so went to Covenant Seminary and finished Covenant. I was there from 89 to 92. I like to tell people I was there before it was cool. <laughs> um, it was a very different place, uh, but ended up going to work for RUF, was a campus minister at Bellhaven College in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, and then was also after that four years there, seven years at University of Tennessee in Knoxville then 15 years as the assistant coordinator for RUF. And, uh, Finishing up with RUF, I then went to work for RYM for a season, a very short season, and for my local church, Redeemer Church in Knoxville, Sean Slate, and then took a call to be the senior pastor here at Catalina Foothills Church in Tucson, Arizona, and uh, one of the reasons I did that is I really began to 
be convinced by Christ that I needed to be a head pastor. And this was just an opportunity that appealed to my wife and I. We have three daughters, Sarah, who is a, uh, a, a registered nurse after finishing University of Tennessee Knoxville in Nashville, a daughter who's a junior at the University of Tennessee uh, in Knoxville. I think I said, my daughter's a nurse in Nashville. She graduated UT Knoxville. My second daughter's UT Knoxville, a junior. And then my last daughter just started Ole Miss. She's a freshman. So our, our house emptied out. I had traveled for a living, was more comfortable in some ways uh, traveling outside the Southeast and inside the Southeast. That's not a shot at the Southeast. So we have started a new adventure here in Tucson, a church of probably 500 on a Sunday, probably 700 participants make up that 500 on any Sunday. A bit of an older congregation, but also a church that had a little bit need to be rebuilt. They had a founding pastor for 20 years, and when he had to uh, step down, actually had a physical heart condition. The transition to the next pastor just didn't work well. Um, church went from about 1200 down to about 300 and so they've done a good job of building themselves up so i'm here pastoring them trying to build staff trying to recast vision trying to recapture what this church can be in this community it's a ton of fun but let me tell you something i don't know what i'm doing yet i've been here four months <laughs> so um the thing that i have really appreciated about god's story in mind is i've done everything i've been a campus minister at a small Christian school, I've been a campus minister at a big secular school. I've been all levels of like RUF bureaucracy, hired, fired, trained, traveled. Um, I got to be an associate pastor at Redeemer. I got to work for RYM. I've, I've been attending RYM summer conferences since 1992. Wow. So um, a lot of fun things, but here I am a senior pastor and loving it. Yeah, and, and we won't go into the story, but I know you shared, I think, on the first podcast as well as the second that you just had a brief stint in youth ministry as well. Uh, so you've done that. You can add that I to the list. That. Of, I've done that a couple of times. I did yeah. that in seminary for a season, and then when I was the associate pastor at Redeemer, I had to jump in on some of that stuff. Um, so, um, yeah, and then I've done training for RYM for years, so I've been around a lot of youth pastors. Yeah. yeah. So my and, and, youth pastoring was a small church, 10 youth, very engaged youth in the, a very country setting. And it was a lot of fun. It lasted about two years and, you know, just learned a ton doing it. Yeah. And look, if you were to drive from Knoxville, Tennessee to Tucson, Arizona, how many hours is that? Driving. I don't mean it, it, the actual driving. drive on Google Maps is 26 and a half hours, but it takes you about 32 with stops. Wow. Wow. And so, yeah, a long way from, from the context you've been growing up in. This is not one of your questions, but what has been the biggest transition just from kind of Tennessee, I mean, like you said, SEC territory to Tucson, Arizona? What's just kind of the biggest cultural change for you? Man, John, that's a great question. Um, I mean, that's a great question. You might have triggered me a little bit on this one, so you might get <laughs> set out. I think that um, so the biggest I'd say the biggest difference between moving from the southeast to Tucson it I don't know that I would lay this at the culture's feet I'm not defending or beating up the culture is that most people are unaware of church anymore in Tucson. Hmm. It's more post-Christian in the Southeast. So in the Southeast, a lot of people went to church. 
who in their heart of hearts were like, I don't believe this, but this is socially welcome and I believe in morality. Um, so there's a lot more camaraderie out here among pastors, a lot more. There's a clearer line even between, I mean, it's always between really what an evangelical is and what an evangelical is not. Um, but I would say that the reverse surprising thing, John, but I knew this from traveling, which is why we were more willing to do this, is people oversell the cultural piece, mm-hmm. meaning the food is different. It's the desert, but people are people. People, uh, Christian people are, they want a church that teaches the Bible. They want to hear about Christ. They want to be discipled. They want a community of people who agree with their worldview. So it hasn't been, it has not been that jarring, like, oh, we don't know. All, the whole world, John, this is funny, like you might make me do a whole podcast. The whole <laughs> world is people trying to form and build country clubs, and they ought not do that in some ways. But once you understand that that's true in New York City and in Lugoff, South Carolina, and in Jacksonville, Florida, and Paris, that people want to group up and they want to feel safe, you basically understand all cultures. Some mm-hmm. people do that around family. Some people do that around their culture. Some people do that around tradition. So it has not been that hard. Like um, the harder part for me is this is, and I'm saying this about where I am, is I went from primarily for 25 years speaking to people under 35 years of age to now speaking primarily to people over 55 years of age. So our church that 700 people probably has 450 people who are over 60, a large retirement section. And part of what they want to see their church do is get younger. And we're succeeding in that. But it's been very, the, the, it's just different working with adults than adults who are under 35. And so I think somebody who's 22 is an adult, but that's been the biggest change. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that I'm answering that question. Well, but John's definitely different, John, but it isn't. The topography is the moon. <laughs> the people are Atlanta. I mean, they're just, this is a million person city. It's a big suburban city. It's politically divided. If you could close your eyes and not see the cactus outside and just listen to the conversation, you'd be like, oh, it's the same conversation. Hmm. it's the same conversation so yeah no that's some that is a good answer you are answering it well and i think it's some good perspective that you know we we think of culture shock and without a doubt cultures are shocking and can be shocking different cultures but at the same time when you kind of boil it all down looking at the human heart is very similar out there just like it is here and it's it's ultimately the same fallen heart longing for the same things in a lot of ways so now that's some good perspective um so look those uh excuse me who've been tuning in uh to season three know that a lot of what we're doing is getting people to share their stories really their testimony and experience in ministry and and john has done that a lot on i think season one we got into some of that and then even season two i got into some of that as well so we're really just going in a bit of a different direction today and oftentimes what we try to do as well for those who come on the podcast is we give them questions ahead of time uh, to begin reflecting on them. And sometimes we go off script and uh, sometimes we try to stick to that. And I just want to let our listeners know today, John actually has no idea what I'm going to ask him. 
and it is all related to youth ministry. It's not just random questions um, <clears throat> about, you know, LeBron James or the GOAT, the greatest of all time, anything like that. Uh, it's, it's all related to youth ministry. Um, so, John, the, the first question that I have for you, and, you know, it's a common question that's thrown around a lot with youth ministry, and it has to be, I mean, it, it deals with youth ministry being a stepping stone ministry. But oftentimes when you hear people talk about youth ministry, uh, that it's just classified as a stepping stone. And my, my question for you is, why do you think so many people consider youth ministry a stepping stone ministry? Why, why is that such a cliched comment we can throw out about youth ministry? Why are there people who defend against that and say, no, it's more than a stepping stone ministry? Or, you know, why are there people who think, you know, I am just going to do this for a time and then I'm going to move on um, to a different type of ministry? Um, why do you think this stepping stone title has been placed on youth ministry? Just some thoughts there. Well, I think, um, John, I mean, that title's actually on campus ministers, too, so I can answer it pretty well. And I'll tell you that it's, I think there's two reasons. One is valid and one is invalid. So the valid, actually the valid part of thinking that way is good pastors, whether it's a senior pastor at 53 years of age or a senior pastor at 45 years of age or a youth pastor at 35 years of age or a youth pastor at 25 years of age, pastors try to become their people. Right. So in our training, we talk about incarnation being the foundation of what it means to do ministry, that Christ himself as our minister, as our example, left heaven. He moved across. He made a humongous cultural change and he put flesh on. And that since he became like us, that he might win us. We see the Apostle Paul saying the same thing to the to the Greek, I become a Greek. To the Jew, I become a Jew. To the lawless, I, you know, we have this very famous phrase. And people really like to talk about it. But And I would say this very carefully, but especially in PC circles, we're a little afraid of it. It's easy to read that as becoming like the culture. And how does that relate to this phrase? Well, campus ministers and youth pastors often, but not always, have a shelf life. Meaning, at some point... At 39 years of age, when you have three kids and you're dropping them off at elementary school, you just don't care about Taylor Swift in the way <laughs> that you used to. You don't Drake and Snapchat, which are beautiful things. These are really lovely things and important. They don't resonate with you the same way. You have questions about child development and you have friendship issues and youth ministry can be a lot in the evenings on Friday evenings. So life itself changes you and no, you know, when you're hired in, for instance, to be an accountant into these big accounting firms, you're, you're supposed to work hundred hours for like six years. But then when you step up, your hours change. And so I really appreciate like ROIM and many youth pastors being understandably defensive. Like, no, this can be a lifetime calling, but I would just say, be careful. Nothing is really a lifetime calling. I mean, to be a pastor is, and there'll be some men and women who are just good at doing youth forever. There's no doubt. Um, and I think you see that sometimes in young life and I'm not saying young life's the best thing ever, the worst. I'm just saying you see some people who really get their niche. But if you go work in a church setting, you begin to love on families and love on youth. I mean, it just can be a legitimate thing to go, man, I'm really ready to help these dads more than their children. And so I think there's something legitimate about that for a campus minister. At some point, a campus minister 
just doesn't want to preach to a group of people who prefer concerts over his preaching, right? <laughs> so I think the negative side of that is if you think too much that it's a stepping stone or I'm going to be an assistant pastor that I might become a head pastor. Again, I get it. You never give yourself to it. Like it's, if you're not careful, you're just doing it for the next thing and you don't tend to invest well. I, and I haven't seen this a lot, but you can see like, let me get through this internship. Let me, let me do my three years as assistant pastor so I can plan a church. But you're actually not learning what you need to learn when you think of it that way. And so I, I understand why people say that. And I don't think if someone said, hey, I want to be a youth pastor for a season, but it's not my lifetime call. I don't think we should shame them. And I, I think that sometimes it works the other way. If somebody says, I'm called to ministry for a lifetime as youth, adults, I'm using that term loosely. I'm, I'm putting parentheses around it right now or quotes. <laughs> Uh, or like, well, that's not a real job. Hmm. And it's really the realest job. You're trying to, to take a, a 27, a 37, 47 year old, trying to become like a 15 year old, which is an incredibly, so it's a very real job. So I think the shame can be really good youth pastors who are doing it 15, 20 years or forever can look and go, this isn't a stepping stone. They're right. But it wouldn't be wrong to have a season in youth ministry and then move to church planting. A lot of what you do in youth ministry would really prepare you for church playing some ways and better than being an associate pastor. So I think there's two sides to it. I think it's not youth ministry doesn't need to fight the stepping stone thing. I mean, most assistant pastors, you know, 60, are probably using that associate role for a career move somewhere down the line. We don't criticize them for it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's just a shame. Like campus ministers and, and youth pastors are just told a lot, that's not a real job. If you're asking my opinion, that's insecure doctors, insecure lawyers, insecure teachers, insecure contractors who don't understand the life of a minister, honestly reflecting their own shame towards this. It's just mm -hmm. not a healthy way. No, that, that's very helpful. And, and like you said, I think you're, you're wise to look at the positive and the negative aspect of that. To be sure, uh, calling it just a stepping stone ministry, thinking less of it, kind of that mindset, we would definitely dif disagree with and push back on. But as we all know, there, there does tend to be a shelf life in this. And like you said, with, with any career. Um, so I think it's helpful for us to kind of think of those terms and, you know, to, to the youth workers out there listening to not have that, you know, chip on their shoulder of yep. just being so defensive about that thinking, but, you know, thinking about it in, in a wise way. And, uh, you know, maybe this feeds into the second question I have. And, and obviously this is a, <laughs> this is kind of a blunt question. So uh, a candid answer from you is completely appropriate and, and fine. Uh, but my second question is <laughs> what bothers you about youth ministry and youth workers? What bothers you about youth ministry and youth workers? And maybe, you know, as I said, this kind of connected, even thinking of those who could get very defensive very quickly about um, this youth ministry being a stepping stone ministry it could be due to some, you know, lack of wisdom, lack of life experience where there's just that chip on the shoulder and they want to jump back to defend uh, what they're doing. And so, you know, when I ask what bothers you about youth ministry, youth workers, maybe some of the lack of life experience feeds into to this answer. 
Um, did I jumble that up too much, or did you? No, you didn't jump. But it's a it's actually a really hard question for me because um, um, I'm not even having a hard time thinking on my. I, I don't know how to order this, so I'm just going to shoot it out. I'm not sure this is the right order to answer it, but I'm probably not that bothered by youth pastors or youth ministry. I mean, it's a vital part of church ministry, and uh, you know, and some people will really be bothered by me saying this, but like. Life is segmented. We segment people in school. You have to segment people like in playing sports. We use lower goals. We use higher goals or, you know, smaller soccer. Like life is segmented. And um, you have to have a ministry in your church that targets senior high and junior high students. Um, and so I don't find myself bothered by that. If you said, John, be bothered by it, I, the way I would – I would say I'm bothered by it in a couple of ways. Um, if you're a youth pastor, you need to wake up every day and expect your session and your adults and your pastor to not really understand youth. Hmm. And you're going to have a hard time helping them understand that. And if you're going to fight like, no, y'all have to understand youth, you're just going to be a mad youth worker most of your life. It's just... It is just hard for parents to remember what it was like. Here's my best example. I am blown away by the number of men and women who would say to us, I had a horrible experience or being in a sorority fraternity was a horrible, bad experience for my spiritual life. I, I partied too much. I regret a lot of the decisions I made. And yet they deeply encouraged their children to do it. It's baffling. Like, if you get them talking over coffee, honestly, they're like, yeah, that was bad. Then they're begging their child to do it. That shows some disconnect between all parents and their children. And so if you're a youth pastor and you want everybody to understand what youth are like and why it sometimes is you need to have a game or why you can't do 45 minutes of expositional preaching and have a big youth group, um, you're going to fight that fight because sin means we, we don't understand each other and life is segmented. Hmm. So I would say the second thing that bothers me about youth ministry, and I, John, I really want to qualify this because what I'm, I'm doing this to answer your question, so I'm trying to be bothered, but I can be bothered about this a little bit. Um, hey, there's two groups in youth ministry that sort of, are on my are, are on my radar, and it's partly because we as a church have been searching for a youth pastor, and we've had to wade through this. On on the one side, there's the, and I disagree with this, and RYM disagrees with this. There's the we segment youth to such an extent that we build them their own worship center, have their own Sunday. Like, and I had not really experienced this. Like in Knoxville, churches don't do this. I mean, I can feel youth ministries that do it more or less, but like, there are literally churches in Tucson where the parents drive up, the youth walk over to that building, and the parents walk over to this building. They do Sunday school separately, they do fellowship separately, and they do worship separately, and then they come back to the car. Like, that, that's on my, that is bad. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is unbiblical. That is wrong. Somebody might say, well, Stone, you said earlier about incarnation. No, 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 that's not my point. But 
Like there are a lot of youth ministries and I actually wouldn't even put young life under that. Young life's more about, we want to get into high school and meet kids. Not, we want to pull, like they're not doing church. But like this is church completely segmenting it. And that's just wrong. The, rever- the reaction to that is now the family-based youth ministry. This is where you might could trigger me to be blunt with you, John. The idea that, the, that each family is a house that we need to, that youth ministry is really about equipping fathers to do youth ministry. That youth ministry is illegitimate, really. It's not in the New Testament. It's not, hey, I got bad news for you. About 92% of what's in the PC is not in the New Testament, right? (laughs) But this idea that like, if we create strong families, there won't be a need for youth ministry, ignores the culture we live in. 60% of all Christian marriages end in divorce. You got a ton of single moms who need male influences, who need spiritual influences in their life. And one of the long, longitudinal studies out there, and I will find it so I can prove this, but I've heard Young Life mention it twice. I've actually heard somebody not in Young Life mention it, says that the way you see kids stay in church in colleges, they had an outside non family member have a huge impact on their child's life in high school. And so these two things, which get talked about a lot, are very dangerous. Because their philosophy of ministries and they don't understand the church because in the church, what we're headed for is no marriage, no male and female, no father, son. In fact, Jesus came to set father against son, right? Hmm. And it is both of these, one denies the reality of what the Bible is calling us to build, which is strong, open, outfacing families, but strong, open, outfacing. The other one is so fearful that it, what it says is we're just going to take the parent's sins and we're going to multiply it to a million generations. So if you got me worked up, it's that those two things are fundamentally biblically wrong, uh, historically, orthodox, and practically. Mm-hmm. And youth ministers, this maybe even sort of are so, can be so passionate about validating themselves fair enough for answer the first question they start driving things and creating things that are unhelpful and i would say my biggest fear maybe if i'm about to answer the third question john forgive me my biggest fear as a head pastor of a church is a youth pastor who's incredibly good but who, who understands neither the family nor the church, meaning they either overestimate the family and underestimate the church, or they overestimate the church and underestimate the family, and who wants to create something that is not integrated in what we're doing. And I'll tell you what we're doing here is hard because it's tended to be older. It's tended to not so far be real thoughtful about cultural questions. But the most powerful person in your church is your youth pastor. That's the irony of it. He's often the youngest. He's often the least trained, but he has the most power. And so that's not something that I've drifted on my question, but those two poles and then my youth pastor not understanding how powerful he is. Right. Um, I may have wandered too much there, John. No, I think you said a lot of helpful things. And this is, this is a compliment, but there, there's so many times where I just want to, interrupt you and get you to elaborate on, on a certain point uh, because you're making a lot of good points. And uh, again, just wanted to dig in on, on some of those more. Um, and, and for sure, um, I think the concerns you stated uh, are appropriate. And I do just want to say there are degrees of, you know, family-based 
youth ministry. Yeah. Uh, I know there are some that are extreme where, you know, I agree completely. I mean, just a reference. And again, I, as all of these podcasts here, I don't know the exact day, but Kurt Cooper and I on Parenting Today discussed the topic of youth ministry. And some people just say it's unbiblical. It's not mentioned in, in scripture. And so I, I appreciate that for sure. I know there's a, a book out there. I think it's by Timothy Paul Jones entitled Three Views on Family uh, Ministry. Yeah. And so it uh, deals with some of the, the extremes on that. So for those listening, if you want to go check that out, uh, you can find that. And and again, I think this feeds into the, the next one. Let me interrupt you, John. Yeah, please say, do. I know you can edit all this uh, fun thing. And I think what's hard about, hard about this is that um, youth are by nature reactions to their parents. They, I mean, so John, you and I have children. If we really get to know them, they, they're reacting. They're becoming like us in certain ways, and that scares us. Absolutely. You're also looking at us and going, I never want to be what my dad, I mean, they love you, but like Mm -hmm. this part of my dad, or he didn't celebrate Valentine's well, all that stuff. You're dealing with a group of people. I mean, this is what's, I mean, this is, this is about 30 podcasts. The PCA is reformed. People are unwilling to admit that youth are driving our culture, all the advertising. They want to capture 18 to 30 year olds. They have no desire to capture 50 year olds unless they're Lexus, right? So you have all this power in this and all of this sort of momentum in this, and we don't admit it. And, um, it, it, and when a church doesn't admit that power and the youth pastor doesn't understand that power, it gets confusing. And because you're working with these really reactionary people, youth ministry tends to be reactionary, right? So I'm not beating you. We're definitely not young life. I mean, they got some good stuff. We're definitely not family-based. Well, like, it's, it's really hard to get youth ministry in a balanced way. And I'm not, for any of us, I'm not, like, we're not balanced. And that's what I mean is that it sometimes feels like, to me, youth ministry is, uh, is a nuclear bomb. Like, your young singles ministry is not. <laughs> and we don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, for, that was my little ranting and raving. Yeah, that's good. And two, just as you you talk about, you know, those in the PCA, a helpful criticism, something we need, we need to think about. But also just making the statement that we know that there are many out there who listen to this podcast who are not associated with the PCA, and it's sure. been encouraging. You know, there are Baptists out there as well as those among the kind of Presbyterian spectrum. Uh, so, well, conservative Bible believing people including me, struggle to admit what's right in front of them. Hmm. And the United States is a youth-driven culture. That's yeah. problematic. I mean, but that's 40 podcasts. But that's problematic. Mm-hmm. It's still true. It's just still true. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. when you don't talk that way in staff meetings, when you need to talk about youth ministry, when you sort of say, look, we just sort of need to go back to the 1920s where you ate at home every night with your parents and they taught you English and, you, you know, you ran a collective farm together. I mean, that really is how kind of my great grandfather grew up. That's real. That doesn't exist anymore. And recreating it will actually create a whole new series of problems. You, you can't escape it. I, I, one last one, John. In Tucson, Arizona, Tucson, Arizona is number one in one category in the last census. The most single people live here 
than any other town, which blew me away. So seven out of every 10 people here is single. If you're going to do youth ministry in a town with, where seven out of 10 people are single, that impacts your youth ministry, period. Mm -hmm. yes. There's a ton of moms and dads dropping off kids who cannot be the best head of their household. You're going to have a ton of people who can't get kids a youth group because they work two jobs. Like It just impacts it, and you can't just act like it doesn't. Mm -hmm. I'll shut up now. No, that, that's helpful, John. Um, I appreciate that. These next questions, I'm kind of grouping some together, and I think they're you know they'll connect to some of what we've been talking about. Um, it has to do with frustrations from parents towards youth workers. Um, what are some frustrations you think parents have towards youth workers? Um, those frustrations that are justifiable, and those frustrations that are not. Um, you know, that, that you think youth workers need to hear, um, you know, just from the encouraging aspect of, you know, here are some frustrations parents have, but, you know, youth workers, they're not justified in those frustrations, but here are some where they are justified and youth workers, you know, could learn from them. So let's start with, with those first. What, what are some frustrations you think parents typically have towards youth workers that youth workers just need to, you know, to, to, to learn from? Man, John, this may be the hardest question you've ever asked me. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why it's the hardest question you've ever asked me. And this is a confession about John Stone. Um, and I, this isn't, I, I don't often come off as humble, which makes me sad. I really mean that. And this is, this is spoken of, out of sort of humility, like, I'm, I'm a big sort of free-range parenter. So I had, with my daughters, very clear rules, but very few. And from doing campus ministry for all those years, John, and I'll, I'm going to answer your question, I was so wounded and bruised by, over, by parents with too many expectations for their children that I realized that a lot of damage had been done by parents in saying, I'm, I'm going to pick some easy ones, but it gets subtle. You have to be an engineer. Your grandfather's for engineers, your dad, and, and this is an artist. And the parents couldn't unlock from this idea that engineering, which is a beautiful job, was what their child ought to do. And their child never thought in line, like even in straight circles or you can't major in dance because it's not practical. I just saw a lot of damage now, I damage my children, too, so don't hear me. I'm just saying, and one of the reasons that's true is our children. And, man, John, I'm about to light up your podcast, so you might need to edit this. But Hot take. I'm pretty – yeah, this is a hot take. I'm pretty convinced that boys ought to be getting out of the home right after they turn 16. Hmm. Now, we're going to do a big caveat. We can do a whole one on this. Mark Lowry used to say all the time, and this is what all the literature says, in America, we've delayed adolescence. We've extended it, therefore we've delayed maturity. So for centuries and centuries and centuries, people got married at 15, 16, 17. This is not a hot take. That's when their bodies are ready to have children. They started to have children. It's a much smarter idea for an 18-year-old woman to have a baby than for a 38-year-old woman to have a baby. Now, in our culture, the reason that's not wiser is they're not mature at 18. But because we've delayed it with school and there's – a lot of good reasons we've delayed it. 
but all of this plays into the dilemma of being a youth pastor. So let me start by saying I'm going to try to answer your question, John, but I'm not going to be good at this. If you're a youth pastor, you have to recognize that your best day, your best day is only 65% approval rate. It's just a fact. What I mean is if you're an outward focused personality who just naturally understands evangelism, who gets the kids on the fringe, and that's who God made you to be. You don't need to be ashamed of that. Then the discipleship oriented parents who they don't need to be like, they're frustrated with you, right? You don't do enough serious teaching. You're not doing enough apologetics, but man, there's a ton of kids coming to Christ, even some Christian kids, vice versa. Your discipleship oriented, you're a better teacher than party thrower, outreach centered. You're working in that area. Your best day is 65% um, approval rating. So having said that, John, to try to tell a youth pastor, you know, like you're, I, I, I think if, if, I don't know what the valid criticism in general of youth pastors would be, but I think, I think that if I were to say what, John, I'm just not good at this question. I'm just being honest with you. I'll tell you why. It, I still think it's an almost impossible job unless the leadership is aligned well in the church. And so the leadership in the church often wants youth ministry there. And man, I am guilty of this. So that when a parent walks through the door, they can go, we have something for your kids. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the normally churches have, I mean, they've thought a lot about youth ministry because they've all had youth, but they haven't gone, what really is it? And what do we want? And therefore from the senior pastor down through the session deacons and it's defended. And so youth pastors often just being polled on parental happiness. Um, but if I were going to tell youth pastors, and this is the hard part of the job, if I were to say something that I think we ought to hear is that they have the hardest job in the church because they have to listen to parents and they have to listen to kids. And they can't really make a choice about who to please. Hmm. You know, as a head pastor, if I can please 65% of the people in this church, I'm a conquering hero. And yet, if you please 65% of the adults in youth ministry, you're you're kind of polling poorly. And it's hard to listen to youth at times because they have some brilliant ideas and they have some really unwise ideas. It's hard to listen to parents because, quite frankly, they don't know their children. It's, It's very hard to hear parents go, look, I know my child. And you're like, you don't know your child at all. Um, so I, I don't know really how to answer this question. What would I want youth pastors to hear is that it's a listening job and that you have to listen to your head pastor. You have to listen to your session. You have to listen to parents. It's just a hard place to be, John. And, and I think that I'm going to go back to my previous, you not trying to create a competitive ministry to your own church is the thing I would say you have to be careful of. If it, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know that I'm making sense on this one, John, because I get the question, but I, but this will help you. A campus minister is a youth pastor, but we sort of know we have to side with the student at that point, right? They're 18, they're 22, they drive a car, they have a checking account, and parents are telling you some pretty unwise things. I mean, like, I mean a parent told me once, like, 
you're just not preaching on Calvinism enough in large group. I'm like, there's 40% of my people aren't Christians, right? Like, I, I, I could not trust that voice. I could respect it. And I think in the youth ministry, that just gets way harder. And so you may want to redirect me. Sorry about this. No, not redirecting you at all. I think, I think it is good. I mean, like you just said, it, it's harder. And yeah, for sure, because the students that youth workers are dealing with are still living underneath the same roof with the yes. parents. But to your point about how youth workers need to listen, I think that's a, a good point that they need to listen. And, and you hear the tension there because, as you said, in many churches – the senior pastors or the pastoral staff, as well as the session, they haven't really thought that much about youth ministry and they don't, they, they just know they need someone in youth ministry yeah. and they need someone to do this. And so the, the frustration for the youth worker is they have to listen to a group of people that don't really think or live in this world that much. And that is a challenge and that's a difficulty. And many of these youth workers do have some experience and are often the ones who are researching the youth culture the most and are you know, studying about youth ministry philosophies and, and all of that. And so that, that's, that's hard. And so I think maybe an application for that is just, even though it's hard being humble, hearing it, receiving it, trusting ultimately in God's sovereignty that he's put the pastors and the elders in place. And to know that maybe there's a way and a venue that the youth worker can lovingly, graciously, cautiously challenge the leadership of the church. Um, even I'm, I'm hesitant to use the word challenge because I could put them in a bad place, but, but have those conversations of, you know, here's some of the things I'm dealing with. But no, I think that's, that's a good thing is just to, to kind of listen. Yeah. Um, what are some of those, Again, as we're you know talking about frustrations from from parents, um, some of those that, that aren't justifiable. Some of those frustrations parents have, where again, this is you kind of pushing back on the parent, saying, "Look, let's get the you know youth directors back here." Uh, what what are some of those common, I think, frustrations that are unjustifiable? Well, uh, you know, John, the hardest thing in discipling people of all ages is helping someone understand themselves. So I'm going to use two obvious examples. Uh, you know, if you think about people who are artistic and people who are engineering, those people tend to believe pretty firmly, those two groups, that they know what the world is like, especially good artists and good engineers. You know, bridges only stay up if you use right angle. I mean, there's all this mathematics, and that's how a bridge stays up. And, you know, an artist looks at a bridge and says, man, that's a – that's a knife cut along the most beautiful mountain. That's you know destroyed. We shouldn't have a bridge there. And and those parents will often say to you, "Hey, my children don't connect to this youth ministry. It's the youth minister's problem, or it's our youth ministry's problem." And a pastor and a staff have to own that. That's not a valid argument. That we will again we'll go back we're always going to be able to identify a certain number of people in a church whose children or they don't connect to the youth pastor there's a certain number of people that that was true of when the senior pastor came but five six years in those people have gone to another church or or they've gotten used to him and that's just not true. youth ministry is so scary for parents it's like that eight years or that four years when their children really are in a place to be discipled or taught. And you, and parents, your parents constantly misread their children. 
and I'm including myself in that. I can name the thing I do, and I, I just because I saw it done, but I couldn't even tell you all the places I did. I mean, I'll give you an example. My wife is an extrovert. I'm an extrovert. Our first daughter is an extrovert. Our third daughter is an extrovert. Our middle daughter is an introvert, and probably if we measured it, a, a very large one. And we basically shamed Catherine for being an introvert. We never intentionally shamed her. We never consciously shamed her, but she wanted to. So we sent an, inter, an introvert to a public school, and for six hours she has to do people. And she comes home, and we want her to do some sort of family-based meal at 6 o'clock. And she can't get up soon enough. And it hurts our feelings. We're making her sit there. And, dude, she's out of words. She is out of energy. She just wants to sit in front of Netflix and watch Power Rangers. And my wife and I are like, why are you watching Power Rangers? And I'll tell you why I know now, because it's mindless. And it just let her recharge away from people. And parents just don't know what they don't know. They're not very self-aware. And they don't know everything. I don't know everything. But I think it, you, parents would be better served to start off by going, look, I don't completely know my child. I mean, look, it's obvious. Our children should not drink beer. Our children should not have sexual intimacy outside of marriage. Our children should not look at pornography. Our children should not be big, you know, all of these things. So a parent can go, that'll be a bad choice for my child. Look, you're right. I'm, I'm, that, that was, but that's easy because you know they shouldn't do X doesn't mean you know what they should be. Because parents feel like when a child makes a choice different than they would make, that the child is repudiating the parent instead of just becoming an adult that's different than the parent that has appropriate sense of independence. And an, so parents in a normal, healthy youth setting, and you have to listen to them are often mistaken about what would be effective. I mean, Parents are usually saying two things at the same time in the same churches, at Pear Orchard and at Catalina Foothills. We need more games and we need more teaching. Well, which is it? I mean, by games, I don't even mean games. Like, we need to do more cool stuff so our kids want to be here. We need to do more teaching to prepare them for college and make them good Presbyterian, you know, congregants. And I'm not mocking either of those. They're both probably right. <laughs> But you, they're, they're both wrong. I mean, you can only do so much. You've hired a guy. He's gathered volunteers. They're not the perfect youth group. They're a good, very good biblical youth group. And those two, that's what parents are always saying. Um, I mean, I've had it said to me here, we've got to do more apologetic conferences for our kids. And they mean full out weekend conferences with all these speakers and they had one here that was very successful parents loved it students loved it but then i have the equal number of people saying why aren't we more like young life young life's got a big um you know their big meeting is in our church because they can't meet at the high school and there are no houses and, you know they're putting 60 70 kids in here and they're singing and they're dancing and somebody's sharing their testimony I'll never be able to get those two groups to agree on youth ministry. Hmm. And so I have to recognize they're both wrong. They're both right about something. That's what I mean by listening. 
but they're also wrong. Um, and I, I think, I think again, conservative Christians in today's world are more and more fe- fearful of culture. We have to live in more gray areas than we have ever lived. I don't mean what we believe as Christians, but we live, you know, if you go to the public schools in Tucson, as some of our people do, you're going to have a principal down the road who is a lesbian who often brings her partner to functions, who often kisses her partner almost in your face in front in school functions. It's just a different world. And parents want definitive answers. And the only person that can almost say that is a youth pastor. And so the youth pastor has to go, I'm not doing a five-week series on why we're against homosexuality, which is what was asked of us. I understand the question. It's just wrong. My youth ministry should address sexuality. It's the number one issue on students' minds. But I'm not going to stand up and follow that parent who is understandably scared and deeply wrong in their methodology. So about as, I'm going to get some flashback on this answer, but that's as good as I get, John. No, again, again, it's, it's good. And I think, I mean, the, the hope of getting you on the podcast today was to, to, to get some of these just difficult questions to wrestle with. And I know they're, in some ways, they're disjointed. They're not necessarily connected. In some ways, they, they do have some overlap. But I know they're questions that youth workers have thought about, youth workers need to, to think about. And, and again, someone you know, you've had a lot of ministry experience. And so I appreciate the nuances and the thoughts um, there. And, and I mean, as we end with this last question that I have, um, you know, I don't want this to sound discouraging to those uh, who are listening, but, but part of the, the hope for this podcast is again, our initial hope is to reach the local youth worker. That's why we started this and we've had parents tune in and, and others. Um, but again, speaking to the youth worker out there, helping the youth worker think about this process, this, because I know this is going to resonate with some, but that is, you know, when should youth workers quit youth ministry? Um, Helping them kind of think through that process that, I mean, I I know thinking about my own time in youth ministry, just constantly reevaluating that and at different seasons in ministry, really wrestling with that. And so asking you the question, okay, what are some reasons a youth worker should quit ministry altogether, just leave ministry and quit? Or when should a youth worker, you know, move on to a, another type of ministry? And I know, again, there can be some overlap there. There can be some some differences. And, and some of those, you know, are, are obvious that you don't even have to answer. But what, what are some reasons, just kind of beginning there, that a youth worker should quit youth ministry altogether? And we're kind of wrapping this up, so maybe you know, somewhat bullet point, um, but not forcing you there. Sure. Um, you know, John, I think that um, this is when I knew I needed to leave campus ministry. We had freshmen to eat, over to eat at our house every Wednesday night just to get to know the freshmen. We did it for the whole year. And it was one of my favorite things we ever did. I look forward to it. I come home. My wife made this lasagna and, and salad. It was just, I mean, it was so many beautiful nights. And then one end of one fall, the beginning of one spring, I just got mad every time we did that. I couldn't wait for the freshmen to leave. I was tired of answering their questions. I mean, I did my job well and I did it for Christ. I loved them, but I was just done with students and their problems. And you never need to feel guilty about that. Um, A, God loves your youth group more than you do. And B, he's got somebody else to do it. And you can't just go, 
let me knuckle down and love 16 year olds for your whole life. Heck, if you put my children at 11, like the perfect age would be like 10, 12, and 14, and said so that you get to keep them forever, I might leave. Like, that's my children needed to grow up. I ran out of my tank. My parenting tank for that got empty. I'm always their parents. Um, they can always come home. I'll always take care of them. But I mean, there's just a season when you think I don't care about this. And when you stop, when you stop really caring about a youth and really being able to describe to a parent what a youth is and how they think and why they're confusing to their parents, how the parents could like, when you're not an expert on youth, stop doing youth ministry. Um, it's, it's either time to say, well, actually, I am a banker, or I, I, I am a contractor, I, I am a teacher in, in a school, or it's time to say I'm an assistant pastor. Um, if somebody said to me today, and I was a, I think I was a pretty successful campus ministry, I'd go back to campus ministry, I'd be depressed, man. I understand it, I can describe it, I can teach it, but I don't want to go back to it. So there's just a point where you're just done with it. Um, I think you aren't called to ministry if you want a world that is just black and white. <laughs> ministry is the grayest job you've ever dealt with in your life. Mm. It's just gray, 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 gray. Now, here's what I don't mean, just to be clear. I'm not talking about doctrinal truth here. I'm a PCA teaching elder. I love being a PCA teaching elder. I can still get through any ordination test, theological test out there because I believe in it. But that's not what I mean. Our job is to work with people. And people, including John Stone, are this confusing batch of contradictions. They are, they are contradiction in one sense because sin remains in them and is fighting in them and is leaking out of them. And Christ lives in them and is, is changing them and pursuing them and disciplining them. And they're just confusing. They, 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 they say they want to come to worship. They say they're a church member. They say they care about Christ. And then you discover that they're alcoholics and their marriage is horrible and they've never hugged their kid. And you're like, what? And if that, if you think you can fix that, I would actually leave the ministry. Hmm. You, um, you are to shepherd them, which means you're to put them in a place where they can feed, but you can't stop them always from stampeding. You can't stop one of the foolish ones from leaning too far in the river, even though you've got them by still water and getting their wool filled up and drowning themselves in five seconds. If you have a need to fix people, you know, and this is a fair way to say it. This is why so many of the sciences, hard sciences are refreshing to people like, we ran an, you know, we ran an experiment. There's an answer to the question. That's why I like golf. It's 82 strokes. It's not 83. It's not. Some people think it's 78. Some people think we ought to do more apologetics. Some people think we ought to do more games. That great. There's something in golf. There's a number. You don't get that in the ministry. It's 10 steps forward, 25 steps back, 100 steps forward, 30 steps back, and. Um, it's dealing in people's souls. It's you, you are trafficking in sin. And I don't mean, I mean, you're really trying to pull that out. You're doing it in Babylon in a country that is exactly like Babylon, that is not like Israel at all. 
Um, and so if you really want a world that you can really tighten up and come home every day and say, well, I know what I did today. I know where that leads me tomorrow. And you do some of that in leadership. You don't really get that with people. You ought to get out. It is the grayest. It's the weirdest, grayest thing I've ever done. I, I, I had a really well-known head pastor yesterday say, John, if I had to do it all over again, I'd definitely be an accountant. I just long to draw the line and there'd be a number there. And that's who I am. He goes, God has really changed me. I'm gl he's glad he's in the ministry, but like, and I get what he's saying. And I, if that's who you are, you're not called to ministry. I would say secondly, and I don't think this is true of many people listening. If you've had three or four churches tell you you're not called to ministry, you're not called to ministry. There's an internal call and an external call. And I'm shocked by how many people will get several external calls that say, hey, you're not great at this. You're, you're a beautiful man. You're a beautiful woman. You're godly. You're holy. But you're not good at this. And they say, well, I know I'm good at this because I can remember the day I was called. And they go to the next church and the same thing happens. The external call is as important as the internal call. And so if, if you keep having churches say, this isn't the place for you, you need to consider doing something else. And I'm just, in that moment, we become sort of strange modern person that says, I know what's right for me, my community doesn't. And your community often knows what's right for you. So those would be some of the things I'd say about when you know it's time to leave. And I'm going to go back all the way to the first question. Hey, youth workers who are called for a lifetime, stop shaming those who leave. Mm -hmm. And when you feel like it's time to do something else, don't be ashamed of that. Mm. Just don't. Um, it's okay. Now that, that's really good, John. It's good to bring it, you know, full circle back to that, that first point. Um, because even as I ask it, you know, it's can be somewhat sobering. Um, and just again, <laughs> somewhat of a, a blunt question. Um, but, but hopefully it's encouraging, clarifying, especially again, as I point back to some of the goals and the desire to have this podcast, we, we know there are youth workers who are out there on their own, you know, either, on an island in their own church or, or ministering in a context where they don't have any other community of other youth workers. And so hopefully this can just provide clarity for them as they kind of process, okay, should I move on? Should I not? I think that the point just about the gray area in ministry is, is vitally helpful. And so hopefully this will move some people to just kind of reflect on that a little bit. Um, John, look, thanks so much for your time and your counsel. I know this is going to be helpful uh, for, for many. So thanks again for, for coming on. Look, when we have season four, we've got to get you back on just to keep that streak alive, right? Uh, yeah, at this point, I got to do every season. That's right. We'll have to do like a golf hour. How do I think? <laughs> we'll, we'll try to, yeah, we'll, we'll work that in there. <laughs> and look, all those who are listening, we hope you're enjoying our longer format on this podcast. Just a reminder to check out the timestamps. Uh, in the show notes, you'll see uh, just the different timestamps of when we're asking certain questions that can help you navigate the episode a little more easily. And I want to point people to our Parenting Today podcast, especially since Kurt and I had the discussion on youth ministry. Some of what we discussed uh, would definitely apply to this conversation. So thanks again for, for tuning in. Hope you guys have a good day. Oh, come and buy without money. Oh,